The reading today is taken from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 14, the parable of the sower. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, for whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chuzar, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock. When it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what the parable meant. He said, The kingdom of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may, may, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, who hear and those, sorry, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among those thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by perseverance, produce a crop. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Maureen. Shall we just pray? Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you your presence is thick in this place. We thank you that you speak. And we just pray this morning that for each of us, you would tailor this message to what's going on in our lives. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we are continuing our series on Kingdom Parables. Uh, as we go through some of the parables of Jesus over the summer, uh, as Jesus explains heavenly realities, things that we might not yet understand with very day-to-day, ordinary uh, examples, things we do understand, to communicate what the kingdom of God is like. And uh, today we're thinking a little bit about fruitfulness, and uh, that is a theme that we find in many of the parables of Jesus. And fruitfulness, I think, is something that all of us want for our lives. One of the things that I started uh, doing during lockdown was making beer. I wonder if you had like a lockdown hobby that you started. Um, Anyone have a lockdown hobby just out of interest? No? 
you all were far too busy. Were you key workers or something? Um, I was a vicar, so I was busy doing uh, bad YouTube videos for church. Uh, so I had, maybe I had more time than you, I don't know. Um, but one of the things I started doing was beer making. Uh, after a few months of going a bit crazy, staring at the same four walls, and uh, walking around the same park every day, I remembered, I've got that beer making kit that someone once gave me for a birthday that I've not used. Uh, and so I set aside a Saturday, and I got the big pots ready, um, and I had the different ingredients, had the barley, and I put that in the water, and then I had the different hops to go in there, in the barley, and it took about a day, and there was kind of quite a lot of science involved in making the beer, and I was never that strong on science, so I was a bit kind of unsure how it was going to come out. Um, but my, it was a big shock to me when a few months later, after I put this funny kind of orange-colored liquid in our, in our warmest room that we had, a few months later, I opened it up and I tasted it, and it did taste like something resembling beer. And that was really exciting for me. It definitely wasn't going to win any awards. I wasn't going to sell it. But I believe I did, in fact, make beer, and it tasted great as I took a sip of it during uh, one sunny uh, summer's evening. And I think for all of us, we want a sense of fruitfulness in our lives. You know, there was that sense of frustration, wasn't there, during lockdown, that we couldn't really do anything. So people started making sourdough bread or banana loaf or making crazy videos on YouTube or whatever it might be. But I think that reflects something about us in our lives, that we, we want to be fruitful. What does it mean to be fruitful? Well, I think in the scriptures, there's kind of two meanings. There's, there's something about being fruitful in the people that we become, that, that we demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. We become more like Jesus. We bloom into being the people that God created us to be, full of love and joy and peace and faithfulness and gentleness and kindness and self-control. We become our true selves. If we imagine a flower blooming, there's something about our blooming and flourishing. So it's about the people that we become, but it's also about what we produce with our lives, doing something with our lives which is beyond ourselves, having an impact on others in some way, shape, or form, making a difference, and we want to be fruitful as followers of Jesus for the kingdom, making a difference for the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus famously said in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, and fruit that will last. We want to be fruitful. There's something in every human heart. Uh, that says that. Recently, I went to go and see the Barbie movie. And no, I'm not embarrassed. It's a great movie. I can recommend it. Uh, went down to the cinema in Catford uh, one Sunday evening with Lydia and had a great time. Um, but without giving it away, there is a theme within that movie, uh, which is the kind of search for purpose in life. Barbie is searching for meaning. She's searching for purpose. I think Barbie needs to go on an alpha course. Uh, but it's something that resonates with all, isn't it? With all of us, that, that question of purpose. What is my life for? Uh, what does it count for? How can my life have purpose and meaning? So you want to be fruitful. Barbie wants to be fruitful. Jesus wants you to be fruitful. 
Uh, and so that's the question that we come to as we think of this passage. How can I posture my life for fruitfulness? How can I posture my life for fruitfulness? Or to put it in the negative, how can I ensure that I don't give up on faith? Because a lot of what Jesus is saying here is about perseverance. Those who produce a crop through perseverance. How can I make sure that I keep on going with my faith? And if I keep on going, plugged into Jesus and with my faith, then I'm going to be fruitful. It's the parable of the sower. But really, it should be called the parable of the soil, because that's the focus of what Jesus is teaching about. And in a way, it's kind of like an introductory parable to all other parables. When we get this story in Mark's gospel, the disciples are confused. And Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? So it's a kind of introduction, if you like, a kind of baseline we need for God to be at work in our lives, if we kind of get this. And this parable is about the soil, and the soil reflects our hearts. It's all about the condition of our hearts. Fruitfulness starts with what's going on in here and the condition of our hearts. And I think if you look through the Scriptures, the Scriptures would say that the single most important thing about you this morning... And that will determine the course of your life is the condition of your heart. Do you agree? The condition of your heart. It's in keeping with the wisdom of Proverbs. Proverbs 4, guard your heart above all else for everything you do flows from it. Our hearts are so important. So much of Jesus' teaching as he takes the law is turned and it's turned to uh, kind of be interpreted through the lens of our hearts, what's going on in here, because everything flows from it. How can we prepare our lives for fruitfulness? And um, one of the big dangers that comes with following Jesus in terms of falling away that, that Jesus is addressing here is not that we suddenly stop following Jesus. And I think that's What's helpful is reflecting about our hearts. It's not that we suddenly make a decision in our hearts to stop following Jesus one day and we go to other things. It's that we drift away and our hearts become a lord to other things and we give up on God. And that's what we're going to kind of think about. That's how I want to frame it as we come to this passage. So let's begin. This is how the story goes. We get a farmer who scatters seed all over the place. And it's kind of strange, isn't it? It seems like a bad farmer to me. I mean, why do you just randomly scatter seed? But that's how the story begins. And it's kind of like the preaching of Jesus, I guess. I guess that's what Jesus is saying. He travels around from village to village uh, outside Jerusalem, often in the kind of northern area of Israel. And he travels around and he preaches to different crowds. And there'll be all sorts of people there that hear the teaching of Jesus. And it's a little bit like for us, the message of the kingdom goes out to everyone. But what determines its fruitfulness is the condition of the soil. And there are three soils that are unfruitful and the one soil that is fruitful. And we're just going to look at those in turn now. So the first soil that Jesus talks about is the path. And uh, the seed gets scattered on the path and it says that the uh, seed got trampled on, the birds come and eat it, and then this is Jesus' interpretation. Those along the path 
are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And I guess this points to the reality that we're in a spiritual battle in our faith. We have an enemy who wants to do whatever it takes to stop God's words coming and working in our lives. It's not when we talk about being in a spiritual battle, having an enemy, it can sound kind of intense. I'm aware of that. Uh, It's not something that we need to be scared of. It's just something that we need to be aware of. And as we align ourselves with Jesus, then we have nothing to be fearful of. But it is helpful just to be aware of the battle that we're in. Uh, We know that when God speaks, when we hear the message of Jesus, when we hear the gospel, that is powerful in our lives. And we see this through the sweep of the story in the scriptures. We see that in creation, as God speaks, creation comes. There's power there. We see this through the Old Testament prophets. Uh, I could name many, but I think of Ezekiel on the Valley of Dry Bones, which symbolizes the kind of spiritual death of Israel. And God says to Ezekiel, speak, prophesy to the bones. And as he prophesies, as he speaks, they come to life. Uh, Jesus uh, many times uh, obviously illustrates this, but I think of the, the storm that Jesus is in. And as he stands up in the storm and he says, be still, creation is obedient to the voice of God. God's voice is so powerful. God's word is so powerful. Uh, as in the book of Acts, the apostles proclaim, they preach the good news of the kingdom in the power of the Spirit. We see thousands of lives changed. And so what the enemy wants to do is he wants to undermine the power of God's word in our lives. We're told in John's gospel that the devil is the father of lives. That's his primary modus operandi. That's how he works. He tries to put lies in our minds that take us and our hearts away from God. We see this in creation. As he says to Adam and Eve, did God really say you shouldn't eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did he really say that? He seeks to question God's word. Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus had been told he is the son of God. That's his identity. Everything flows from his identity. And so the enemy goes for identity. If you are the son of God, he whispers lies. And he whispers lies into our hearts as well about who we are and about uh, the gospel and um, uh, what God is calling us into. So we have an enemy who's trying to rub us of the power of God's word, forming us and shaping us to become more like Jesus and to be powerful in his kingdom. And so a great question to ask would be, what lies might I be believing? What lies might I be harboring in my heart about who I believe I am and who I believe God is? We sung that song, didn't we, just a moment ago. I am a child of God and therefore I'm not a slave to fear. What lies might I be believing this morning about who I am and who God is? And then from that, we can, we can ask the Spirit's help for that, and we can resolve to live under the truth of God's Word. And as we do that, then we become more like Jesus. And as we do that, we, we are able to be fruitful as Jesus was fruitful. James 4 says, resist the devil, and he will flee 
from you. We don't need to be scared. We just need to be aware that we're in a spiritual battle and that does impact our hearts and our fruitfulness. So what's the second soil that Jesus talks about here? He talks about rocky ground. And we're told that it doesn't bear fruit because there's no moisture. And this is Jesus' interpretation. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. So this is really about having our hearts deeply rooted in the love of God. Deeply rooted. Just imagine It's an easy image, isn't it? Uh, Imagine a tree with roots deep underground. That's how God wants us to be in his love. So that when the storms of hard times or persecution, it says here as well, we're uh, persecuted in some way for our faith, we will be able to persevere and stand because we have sustenance. We have the water of his love. We have the life of God within us. We have enough moisture. It's a little bit like a strong marriage or friendship, full of love, full of support, encouragement, intimacy. Uh, That kind of relationship can weather many storms. That's the relationship that Jesus is calling us into with him so that we might be able to stand and be fruitful. Because here's what happens when we go through hard times. We stop believing that God is good, don't we? And if we stop believing that God is good, then we stop trusting in him. We allow our circumstances to shape how we our view of God rather than allowing God to shape how we view our circumstances. We go through uh, financial challenges. We look at, perhaps we're looking at the bank balance uh, every day, perhaps if we're anxious about that. And we're wondering where provision's going to come. It's a difficult time that we're going through. And so we start to believe, God, are you really good? Can you really be trusted? And we just start to drift away, perhaps. We just start to stop trusting him a little bit because of that challenge. Or we get a health diagnosis, and things don't seem to be going that well. Perhaps things are going from bad to worse. God, where are you? Do you really love me? Are you really good? Our hearts begin to drift away. Our boyfriend and girlfriend dump us. Whatever the challenge might be that is relevant for you this morning. And like that seed on rocky soil, we begin to wither. And in time, we get taken out by that testing. The Apostle Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. As he is in prison himself, and he prays in Ephesians 3, that very famous prayer. What does he pray? I pray that you might be rooted and established in, in what? In love. In love. It's the the love of God, the experience of the love of God, the deep knowledge of the love of God that will hold us firm through tough times. And when I think of someone who is rooted uh, in this love, I could talk about many people, but one person that comes into my mind is my grandmother. Uh, Her name is Anne Hare, a great surname, and uh, she's just had her 90th birthday. And uh, she is just one of the most joyful people I know. She is so full of joy. She's always laughing, despite having terrible arthritis and being in pain a lot of the time. She is just so happy in Jesus. And 
one of the reasons I really look up to her, admire her and her faith is because of the difficult times that she's been through, that she's weathered. Uh, she's been through the bereavement of losing a son. Uh, her son, so it would have been my uncle, was uh, doing ministry in Canada with students there, uh, working for the Christian unions in Canada. And at the age of 27, uh, he had a wife and a young son, and he tragically died in a car accident. He was driving a van of students to some conference, and uh, it was icy, and he died, and he passed away. And she went through the bereavement of losing a son at that young age. She went through the storm of cancer uh, and ended up having to have a double mastectomy. She went through the storm of redundancy in her family. Uh, her other son uh, was in a coma for two weeks, unfortunately came through. But she's been through quite a lot of stuff is what I'm trying to say. And in that place, she easily could have turned away. She easily could have said, no, God, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to keep trusting you. I'm going to, I'm going to keep my distance. Thank you very much. But she didn't because she was rooted and she knew deep in her heart the love of God for her. As we think of perhaps persecution, it's good just to be aware of what's going on in our world with our brothers and sisters. And I'm mindful of Christians in northeastern India at the, at the moment, uh, in Manipur, uh, where Christians have been uh, attacked horribly, and women particularly have been attacked, homes have been looted, uh, people have lost their lives uh, at the hands of Hindu extremists there. Um, but when you kind of look at some of the testimonies coming through, it's amazing how those Christian communities are still standing. Uh, and they say it's the, it's the prayers of God's people, and it's the knowledge that God is with them that is enabling them to keep going. What can separate us from the love of God? So how do we become rooted? It's about spending time with Jesus. It's about continually learning to open our hearts again and again to receive God's love to the Spirit, to the Scriptures, to align our hearts and our lives with God's love. And that's how we are rooted. What's the third soil that Jesus talks about? It's the thorns. And the image here is of a crop growing, but then it gets choked gradually as thorns wrap around it and suffocate it. And uh, sadly, the number of thorns in our garden at the moment at home in Gainsford Road means that this image is all too familiar. Um, but this is what Jesus said. The seed that fell among, among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. So what are the thorns that we need to look out for? Uh, they are anxieties, life's worries, and they are comforts that we look to, riches and pleasures. These are the top things, Jesus says, that has the potential to turn your heart away from God. Worry or anxiety. I wonder what that might be for you this morning. What's causing you worry? Is it something going on in our families? Money, as we've talked about already, finances, the interest rate going up. Uh, our future selves, what is going to happen to me? Will I get married? Will I have kids? Will I get to this goal, that goal? How's life going to go? Our work life, long-held insecurities, all sorts of things that cause anxiety within us. And the Bible says that worry is really a little bit like an exercise bike. 
We go round and round in circles. It takes a lot of our energy, and it gets us precisely nowhere. And we don't even get fit, so we don't even get that benefit. But what happens when we worry is that our hearts become distant from God because we're not really trusting him. We're taking on these things upon ourselves rather than giving them to God who is good, knowing that he's our father and loves to take care of his children. So our trust is gone and trust is a predicate for vulnerability. And then we're distracted as well. Anxiety is a massive uh, sucker of time. It wastes our time. It distracts our focus of our hearts and our minds. And with that, we don't have the focus to, to land on God and pursuing his kingdom and knowing Jesus. And then comfort, wealth, pleasure, the other kind of thorns that Jesus is talking about. And we're talking about here good things that become godlike in our lives. And so there's no room for the true God, kind of idols, we might say. And these might be things like having money in the bank or nice food and drink to enjoy, holidays, our family life, cars and houses, all great things that can easily become ultimate things. And things that we look to for what only God can give, for healing, for strength, for security, for wholeness. C.S. Lewis talked about the dangers of prosperity in his screw tape letters. He said, prosperity knits a man to the world He feels like he is finding his place in it when really it's finding its place in him, in his heart. So what do we do with some of these thorns? What do I do at home if there's thorns in the garden? Uh, I go out and I ruthlessly cut them down. Uh, And you've got to be kind kind of aggressive with this. You've got to take as much off as possible. We've got to be ruthless about it. And we can ask the Spirit to convict us of some of these idols in our hearts and put them under the feet of Jesus. The Spirit will do that if we ask him to convict us, not to condemn us, but convict us so we can rid ourselves of these gods and we can start to worship the true God and make room for him in our lives. Psalm 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's an offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. And then fourthly, as we come into land, what is the good soil which produces a crop a hundred times that was sown? Jesus says this, The seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Verse 15. And I guess that phrase, a noble and good heart, sounds kind of old-fashioned, doesn't it? Maybe something we would find in a period drama. Uh, Mr. Darcy was a noble man, or something like that. Um, And it can kind of be quite difficult to resonate with that particular language. But I think Jesus is encouraging us with what our lives might look like as we cultivate a good heart, an open heart directed towards him. And uh, we've looked at some of the dangers for our hearts. And I just want to finish by just reflecting on a few kind of characteristics that God wants to stir up in our hearts that I think he's getting at when he talks about a noble and good heart. And as you look through the scriptures, I think God wants to stir in us a heart of thankfulness. 
or gratitude. I think that's part of what it means to have a good heart. A heart that looks around us and says, "What? not what I don't have, but sees what I do have and gives thanks to God for that and every good gift that comes from him. I think that's a fertile heart, is a thankful heart. I think God wants to cultivate in us a passion for God, a hunger and thirst for him. There's something we looked at a few weeks ago, and we looked at our love for God, that God wants us to love him with all our hearts, our soul, our mind, our strength, to be passionate, to be zealous for God. I think God wants to cult- us to cultivate a humble heart, uh, a heart that is willing to repent, to acknowledge that we haven't got it all sorted, a heart that is the opposite of pride. God opposes the proud but lifts up the humble. And it's interesting that in Luke's gospel, I just find it fascinating that we began this reading with some of the female disciples uh, that followed Jesus around. And we also then, just before, have the story of a sinful woman who pours perfume on Jesus' feet. And I wonder if Luke's just trying to make the connection between these women and the kind of heart that God wants us to have And I think a humble heart would have been reflected in these women. They're humble, they're thankful for all that God uh, and Jesus has done for them. They clearly had an encounter with the love of God. He's set them free. They're thankful, they're passionate, they're humble. Uh, I think an undivided heart is a heart that God wants us to have. A heart that isn't uh, half of it over here, worshipping money or whatever it might be for us, and half of it to him but to give the whole of our lives to him. And I think he wants a heart that trusts in him, that truly trusts in him and lets go of all that anxiety that we can carry. And so as I really, truly come into land, uh, I want to finish with this. Summer is a lovely time, isn't it? It feels like a more relaxed time, a time for just chilling, just being, which is great. But I know for me, it can also mean I can become a bit lazy in my spirituality. I can become a bit lazy in my relationship with God. And I'd just love to encourage each of us to press in, to decide this morning to press in to our own relationship with God, perhaps to do a little MOT on where our hearts may be at, and to commit to spending time with Jesus, pressing into God, can sound, what does that mean? You know, it can sound kind of like over-spiritualized language. It just means committing to spending time with Jesus and cultivating our relationship with Jesus, spending time in prayer, in the scriptures, enjoying uh, his creation, being with him in creation. However you connect with God, prioritize that, enjoying his presence and receiving his love. As Jesus said in John 15, abide in me and abide in my love and you will bear much fruit. Amen. Oh, man. Should we stand?